This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Sebastian Martel, CFO of BRP, makers of CDU, CDU, and Can-Am products, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leadership Podcast. This is episode 566. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Scott Parnell, CFO of Daily Pay. Intrigued by a technology offering that allows employees to determine when they get paid, leaves behind. Scott opts to leave behind finance leadership opportunities in large enterprises to join Daily Pay. We discuss with Scott his decision to swing open a door to a new career chapter and much more after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Take us back. What were some of yours? Yes, uh, great question. Uh, I had three key moments uh, in my development. The first was when I was with Arthur Anderson, I realized I did not want to go the partner route. I was more inspired by a lot of the CFOs that I'd worked with at my clients, and they all gave me the same advice. They said, build a great CFO toolkit. Get your, get and maintain your CPA. Get in industry experience and augment over time with education to broaden your perspective. Um, lastly, they suggested that I seek out difficult assignments, uh, difficult assignments, generous mentors, and t- tough bosses. Uh, the second thing was I was in business school, 
and I had a great professor that taught me about the congruence model. Don't look at a finance problem as a finance problem. Look at it as a business opportunity. Explore the culture, the talent, the tools, the org design, and look for solutions that make all of those align towards your strategic um, direction that you're trying to go. The third thing was getting diverse business experience. I had this one really tough boss at City. He would throw me at anything. If there was a customer service problem, he would throw me at it, despite the fact that I was in finance. If we lost $400 million in a hedge, he would send me in, even though I didn't know Treasury at the time. Um, what he did was he built up the capability to go into something, regardless of what the problem was, and build general management capabilities around it. And his view was better GMs, better general managers, made better finance people over time. And I think he was right. Now, you mentioned Arthur Anderson, and this was really the, the, the early chapter of your career. Uh, when you do ascend into uh, the ranks of finance leadership, I believe you're at Citigroup, where you were in the Student Loan Corporation. Can you help us uh, understand the different uh, groups that you were part of? Sure. At City, I worked at first in the consumer assets group. So that, will, that included things like mortgages, home equity, student loans, and such. Um, however, the student loan division was also a publicly traded company uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. City owned 80%, but there was a 20% public float. And that business uh, had the best of both worlds, right, in a public following, but it had to keep City happy as well. Um, I was there uh, from 2006 through 2010, and you can imagine that was a very energetic time for uh, being a finance leader uh, through the financial crisis. Now, I want to I want to point out was it was it at City where you first achieved uh, let's call it the CFO title? I mean, you were part of that student loan organization and you became a CFO overseeing that. Is that sure? I started off with uh, being a director of finance for a division of City. After a while, I got moved around and um, got new experiences, but uh, was dropped into the Student Loan Corporation, again, a publicly traded subsidiary, as a director of finance and was ultimately promoted to be the CFO of that entity. From City, I went, or from Student Loan Corporation, I went to a company called Crump, which was owned by private equity. Um, they focused on the brokerage space for insurance as well as the retirement space for small companies. It was a great entrepreneurial experience. Um, we were able to grow the company, buy and sell companies. Uh, I got to learn to work with banks. And then from there, uh, we ended up selling two-thirds of the company to BB&T Bank. Uh, in addition, we took the remaining one-third of the company, uh, did a tuck-in acquisition, and from there, uh, we, we did a recap, and I went ahead and went to TIAA. And at, at TIAA, is it the you know FP&A function that you stepped into immediately, or how did uh, how did you advance into TIAA? Sure, and a former colleague from MetLife was the um, she was the CFO at at TIAA, and she needed someone to come in and help build an FP&A capability for TIAA. TIAA is a almost hundred year old retirement business that focuses on the university and non-for-profit space. Um, they had a lot of st 
story, history, and success, but the CEO was working to broaden the strategy into three different lines of business, and TIAA did not have the SBNA capabilities to support that. I was brought in to build that capability. I did that for three years, and after that, um, they asked me to step into a CFO role for one of their three lines. When you say build that capability, was that finding additional talent to, to energize that function? Was that adopting new tools? What exactly did you do to build that function correctly? It really was um, a great example of that congruence model that I talked about earlier. Um, it was looking at the culture of TIAA. They didn't have a P&L culture. It was looking at the talent that was available both within the business as well as in the finance shop. It was looking at the tools and making sure that we had the systems. And then it was creating the processes and the cadences around reviewing and forecasting and, and learning from the forecast and socializing what needs to happen next. And so it was, it was the whole gamut. Did you have to uh, – I'm curious, when you say culture, I imagine that you had to knock on some doors and raise the profile of that function across the organization to demonstrate the value and understand why you wanted certain numbers or you wanted to reveal you know, a certain parts of the organization to be aware of certain numbers. Was it something like that or, or not really? What would you tell us? Uh, you know, anytime you're trying to change a thing, right, th there's two forms of it. There's the technical aspects. Those are the processes and systems and, and, and maybe the people that you hire. But there's also the, the, the adaptive leadership that needs to be done where, where you need to help the minds that you're working with evolve into a new way of thinking. This was definitely the latter part of that. That was the, the challenge here. So what I ended up doing is spending a lot of time listening to everyone's issues and what they wanted out of a planning system and what they wanted to achieve strategically. And once you do that, it's easier to thread the needle and put together a pitch that says, hey, let's all start doing something new, and here's what's in it for you, and here's what's going to cost you, but it's going to be worth it. Let's try it. Um, that worked very well. You don't have everybody jump on board at first, and you can't get discouraged by that. But as you gain um, you know, critical mass, um, you know, steps three, four, and five get so much easier. Now, as you explained, you advanced into a CFO role of one of the, one of the divisions. Can, can you give us a sense of the size of the, the uh, unit you were over? There was about $200 million of assets at the beginning. It was merged uh, with an additional uh, unit uh, later on in the three years that I was in that role. So by the end, I had about $700 million of assets that we were responsible for. Trying to understand better the chapter you've opened here, what led you to daily pay? And again, I don't see any evidence of having an entrepreneurial itch in the early part of your career, let's say. Um, how would you describe this next chapter? Well, first of all, what I would say is everything that I have done my entire career has been centered on transformation. And it could have been uh, when I was helping start MetLife Bank within MetLife. Uh, it could have been when I was working for a private equity company that was um, migrating, you know, not a huge company, but a, a, a not, not small either, a company to a good liquidity event for, for, the, for the private equity company. Um, 
but there's always been a high transformation aspect to every role that I've done. I enjoy that. The second thing I would say is I've always had a hand in um, entrepreneurial activities. I've been helping friends start companies for a while on the side. I've always wanted to do something where I could build from you know, almost the beginning and build a culture, build a team, build a process, build a finance shop, and help define a market. And when I was looking for my most recent job, I talked to a lot of fintechs. I talked to a lot of um, you know, startup-type insurance companies and, and brokerage houses and, and looked at different opportunities to do things like this. Um, they were all very exciting, but none of them had what Daily Pay has. Um, so when I talked to the CEO of Daily Pay, he told me about the mission. He told me about the team that he was building. He told me about all of the the um, people that we were going to help get to a better place financially uh, as customers and the companies that were going to help with their, their employment issues. So for me, it was an easy sell. This was one of the easiest decisions I've made from a career standpoint. Had everything I needed. Now, we uh, would like to maybe circle back with you a little more and just throw one or two more career questions your way during the mentoring round. But right now... Uh, let's find out about Daily Pay. Tell us about this company and, and its offerings. Sure. So let me just describe Daily Pay. Daily Pay provides companies highly compliant, on-demand pay benefits to, their, to offer their employees. Uh, a lot of people might not know what an on-demand payment benefit is. It's a benefit that provides employees the access to their income between the time it is earned and the time that they are paid. For many employees, this can be up to three weeks. That's a long time if you're living paycheck to paycheck. And according to Forbes, I think it's over three-quarters of America have an aspect of paycheck to paycheck living. Now, employees can download our app, see how much earnings they can draw upon, and get earnings for about the price of an ATM. On payday, the company does their normal pay cycle. The employee receives the outstanding balance of their paycheck, and, we're, and we, we are reimbursed for, you know, the, the dollars that we made through advances. So it, it, it's really a triple win. As a CFO, I really appreciate daily pays value to employees, companies, and other CFOs. The employees get, it, get access to the pay that they need, and it helps them avoid things like late fees. It helps them uh, avoid things like overdraft. You might not know this, but banks charge over $10 billion of overdraft fees last year alone. So it, you know, we're helping people avoid real financial impacts. In addition, um, a lot of times employees might even miss a shift or two because they don't have the money to even get to work, and this helps resolve that. So they're more engaged. They're more able to show up. They stay around longer, which means the company wins because we all know engaged employees um, are more productive, and turnover is very expensive. Uh, lastly, the CFO gains because we're lowering their staff costs and at no SG&A increase or acceleration of cash outflow to the company. The CFO is benefiting while they're using our balance sheet. Well, I think you've, uh, you've intrigued many of us, but uh, now we want to turn back to your list of priorities as you come through the door. What is it uh, that you have to get done here? Well, I, I think 
there's several things I need to really focus on. One is I need to sustain and enhance our fuel lines for scaling. Uh, On-demand pay is new and different. Uh, we're new. We do things differently. So, so we need to make sure that we're fueling the sales, the, the platform, uh, building the brand. Uh, that's, that's really important that I get funding for that. And then the second thing I need to do there within that category is make sure that we're putting every dollar in a, a place that it can do the most good to, to deliver as much help as we can. Um, the second thing I need to do is build finance and administration excellence. Because we're small, I also have HR and legal. And so there's a lot of systems, process, and talent that I need to be thinking through uh, developing. I was delighted when I got here. There's a, a lot of germinations of, uh, of capability and a lot of enthusiasm in the team. Um, but there, it, it's a young group, and we need to, we need to keep building towards that, that finance nirvana. Um, same thing with HR and legal. In addition, analytics, analytics, analytics. We have to build the analytical capability to you know, take advantage of all the information that we have at our disposal and put it to good use. Uh, lastly, I need to build a P&L culture. Um, I don't want to have a situation where everyone is so top-line focused that they don't um, you know, keep balance on where you know, the, the, the best growth is. At the same time, I don't want anybody worried so much about expenses that we're not making the proper investments that we need to. So finding that right P&L culture is really important. We want to ask you about uh, visibility into the business and whether you currently have achieved the lines of sight that you want to make certain the company's performing the way uh, you want it to be. What, what would you tell us when it comes to your lines of sight and the numbers? Um, I think that there is almost a limitless appetite for further insight. And I, I, w I, I said that at MetLife, I said it at City, I said it at TIAA and Crumps. I'm saying it here. I was delighted that there was a core um, intensity around building the right management information systems from the get-go here. Our CEO is very metrics-driven, and so there was a good core to work with, but it's new. Not only is the company new, but the whole category is new. So we are doing a lot to better understand how our business works from the top of the sales funnel all the way down. We're also a balance sheet-intense company, and so we have to pay attention to losses and, and liquidity. And so there's more work to do there to make sure that we're able to manage that as best as possible. Now we're going to ask you to look back again for us. And somewhere along the way, and you've had many of these, no doubt, but a finance strategic moment was had. And uh, given your lines of sight into the organization, you were able to see an opportunity or a risk what comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? A great example was when I first got to the Student Loan Corporation. Um, it was very revenue focused. There was a lot of attention and you know, the balance of, of power and focus was top line growth. Um, at the same time, it was pretty clear being the new guy when I walked in that the company was underwriting some 
you know, a disproportionate amount of risky uh, loans. And in the student loan space, it is not good for the company or the borrower to be in a risky loan. And at the same time, that was a cultural shift, right? So I had to gather information. I had to gather perspectives from everybody involved, all the stakeholders. I had to model out here is what's going to happen over time, depending on how we make different decisions. And I was able to convince people over time that we needed to change. We developed risk-based pricing. We reinforced the credit standards. We were able to get better pricing across the board in a way that the riskier accounts were charged more and the less risky ones were charged less than was originally the case, which means we won on volume and rate when we went to market with the revised product set. Um, a couple of years later, the financial crisis hit, and the U.S. nationalized the federal lending program, which was the majority of the business that we had. And so it was pretty uh, important that we had done the work beforehand or else uh, we would have been even more peril. When we return, Scott Parnell will be entering the mentoring round with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We are stepping into the mentoring round with Scott Parnell. Uh, Scott, the first question is a big one. We like to uh, ask finance leaders about what is it today that's exciting them about business and finance? Not 20 years ago, but what is it today that they see happening out there that's exciting them? I am I love that question. I, I, I look forward to that question every time I listen to one of the podcasts. For me, it is really an amazing time between the availability of tools, uh, data, uh, the, the availability of digital natives in the, the younger generation that, that really enjoy that work. Um, and that's, that's creating much better, much more intuitive analytics than I've seen in, in the past. In addition, there's a you know absolute uh, revolution happening in primary industry, which is financial services, where so much friction is coming out of the day-to-day -day transactions that we just got used to in previous generations. And innovation is creating value for new new entrants into the marketplace. So I, I just think this is an amazing time to be doing what I do in the industry that I serve. Now to think back again for us and think about that that first week, maybe, when you uh, were in the CFO office, the first week you had that title, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you as you started down uh, the CFO path? 
I'm sure that you've heard this before, but what got you here won't get you there. Um, the CFO title itself has bigger meaning than I initially understood. Everything a CFO or other C-suite leader does has huge symbolic fallout. It gets analyzed. People look at it. They look for incongruence. Um, it took me a while to tap into this, understand it, and actually leverage it um, and moderate any downside. Um, even something like how the CFO, CFO does his or her T&E makes, or makes capital investments in their own group can become stories that are told through the rest of the organization and be reinforcing um, either a positive or negative culture. So I'm very careful about that now. You know, I, I have to imagine that some former colleagues, other people, uh, professionals you've met along the way, might have been surprised that you stepped into the CFO office at Daily Pay. Maybe uh, they thought a larger organization that would be where you had built your career in the past. And to take this leap, some CFOs would not. In fact, I think more think about taking that step into the entrepreneurial realm than actually take it. Many more take the safe route. Not you. That's not what you did here. And I'm, it's like a mystery <laughs> we're trying to unravel here. What was your thinking? For me, I'd seen my stepfather start a company that ultimately went public in the semiconductor industry. I'd seen other friends do it. Uh, for me, this was absolutely fascinating. And I was in a place in my life where I could take some risk. And I also think that I've got some runway here. And for, for me, it's too important to be absolutely excited about going to work every day. Um, it makes me a better leader. It makes me a better um, husband and, and father when I find fulfillment in what I'm doing. And as I sat back and looked what I wanted to do next, um, this just felt like I could get more excited and, and put more of my soul into it. And so that's what I did. I, I took the plunge. I see, I see three things, too. I, I see, okay, the opportunity which you characterized for us, what you just described. Uh, you're, you're at a point in your career where you can afford to take risks. Not everyone is. I don't think you would have done this in the 90s, maybe. Maybe you would have. Um, and you've mentioned the CA, CEO more than once. I guess uh, what so many people look for, they wonder if there's chemistry there with the management and particularly with the CEO when it's a CFO. Um, is it, how, how am I doing? Am I close? That, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, a CFO and a CEO have to do a Vulcan mind melt make sure that you know, they're not of the same mind, but they're able to work together as a team, uh, that there's balance, uh, but support. Is there any more you can share there, just uh, anecdotally? I mean, was this CEO someone you had known for 10 years, or was it just a happenstance that you happened to cross paths and, or, or someone introduced you, or whatever it might have been that, that uh, you first uh, heard the idea from, from him and, and thought, wow, maybe there's something more here? I was recruited into this by an in-house recruiter, but I would say I cultivated this opportunity as well. I had, again, talked to a lot of different fintechs in various different stages of growth and talked to many CEOs and become smarter about 
what might work for me and what I might be able to contribute. And so by the time I got to Jason, you know, I, I knew what I was looking for, and I knew the value I could bring in an organization such as Daily Pay. And so it just seemed like a great fit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting space. It's one I think many finance leaders feel as though they know or they have kinship with in some way. So I thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Um, we always like to ask our uh, CFO guests to think about themselves uh, on more of a personal level and uh, share if there's a, there's a personal habit they have or a daily routine or something they've done during the course of their careers on the personal side that they think has contributed to the professional side of things in some way, maybe gave your your uh, your life structure in some way. Some say, you know, frequently talk about exercise. But does anything come to mind for you? Absolutely. Um, my father always was a bit of a renaissance man. He, he said you needed to have, um, you know, a, a source of employment. You had to, need to have a an art. You needed to have an exercise, and you needed to feed the mind. And I, I really tried to pursue his guidance there. I make mindful time for reflection every day. I also uh, really focus on communication because that's something that you can always get better at. But outside of that, I stay active by cycling, by scuba diving, skiing, guitar, play, and, and things like that. Um, and, and I also really value staying in touch with my family. Uh, I, I cycle with my wife as well. So just really making sure I have that balance and that I'm staying connected with the things that matter, the people that matter in my life. Thank you. Um, we also always ask if you have a book you'd like to recommend. It doesn't have to be a business book. Any book come to mind? Uh, I, I'm an avid reader. I do a lot of that. One of my, my favorite is Ron Chernow's Titan, um, or anything by David McCullough. He is a great um, biographer and historian. Um, I also find myself reading a lot of the things that my teenage and young adult um, kids are reading because it creates something that I can interact with and creates common experience. We are up to our final question uh, where I sort of already asked this question, but I hope I don't think our listeners will mind if I ask you again to look forward for us. And I imagine you're spending a lot of time Having just joined this company and we're kicking off a new year, it's probably uh, something you've done quite a bit of. But what are your priorities over the next 12 months of 2020? What are they as you look forward as a finance leader? I really have to focus on capital for the company to feed the machine. I need to focus the capital on um, the areas that will provide us the most, most growth. And I need to build capabilities in the finance and administrative areas of my company. So uh, we are ready for whatever comes our way. Scott Cornell, thank you for joining us on CFO Coffee. You're welcome. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. 
If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.